Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. Turn to Matthew 9, please. It's good to be part of the body and to know we've all been baptized by one spirit into one body and to be able to express the body this morning. And um, I'd just like to read... A few verses from Matthew 9, and we'll start at verse 27 through to the end. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, shouting, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, they answered him. And then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the whole area. And just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. And when the demon had been driven out, the man spoke. And the crowds were amazed, saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion Uh, For them, because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I I love those verses, I love the description. Uh, That last little section, verse 35, it seems when you read the previous two or three chapters even, to um, kind of summarize everything Jesus was doing. There's lots of individual stories about, we read here about two blind men, about a demon-possessed man, but, but you go through, the, there's lots of other situations as well, different people, different situations. And as a summary of it all, we've got those last few verses. Jesus went to all the towns and villages Uh, preaching good news, healing every disease, every sickness, seeing the crowds, feeling compassion for them, and proclaiming it's harvest time. The harvest is plentiful. And what I'd like to do this morning, um, although it's only the 15th of July, is I want us to start to think ahead a little bit to when we get back from the break. So I want us to sort of think ahead a bit to, to September Think about where we, where we want to go as a church in the autumn. Autumn, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? In the middle of the heat wave and we start pr- 
predicting the autumn. I don't want that. But, um, but everything I want to say also starts right now. And that's really important. That's the heart of God for us. And um, what I'd like to do is just is, is imagine a canvas. I want to paint a picture for us. And um, there are three interconnected themes or aspects of this picture. And if you were um, on social media, you'd, you'd put a hashtag in front of these three words because they're the recurring themes. The first of them is, is this word, harvest time. We're going to come back to that. I'm going to paint a picture, put some layers on it, describe uh, what, that, what that word means biblically, what that word means for us today. The, the second, hashtag Jordan. Come back to that one. You might be confused. It's the river. And, and hashtag overflow. So they're the three key words, harvest time, Jordan, overflow. Let's start with the first word. If you would... Um, just turn with me to Genesis 8, because it's always good to see the first time things are referred to, first time things are mentioned. The first time there's any mention of harvest time is in Genesis 8. It's God's promise to Noah as he comes out of the ark, as the flood has receded, and, and God makes a covenant with Noah and um, essentially promises never again to flood the earth. And in verse 22, the Lord says this, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease, will not cease. As long as the earth endures, there'll always be seed time, there'll always be harvest. In other words, there will always be cycles, natural cycles, of seed time and harvest, of planting, of reaping, of of sowing, of gathering, of, of putting it out and gathering it back in with, 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 all the, um, with all the increase that God has put into it. There'll always be seasons of seed time and harvest in the natural, in the natural world. And what you find throughout the Old Testament is, is the, the concept of harvest becomes really significant, harvest time. Uh, events are demarked and, and um, regulated according to harvests. You'll know that the, the, um, the year of Jubilee was at the end of, 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 of seven lots of seven years, and, and land values would go up or down depending on h- how many years there were to the next harvest or how many years since the last harvest. The harvest, this, this natural inbuilt cycle that God had put into things, becomes uh, the measure of, of, of many things. Harvest time. Harvest time. In Deuteronomy, God promises to send rain at the proper times, so there'll always be harvest. Ruth chapter 2, Richard spoke recently, didn't he, about about Ruth, and the whole of of, of the second chapter of that involves Ruth at a time of the barley harvest. It's all about what happened during the harvest. And throughout the Old Testament, we find God's goodness is seen in abundant harvest. Psalm 67, verse 6 says, The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. Psalm 65, verse 11 in the New Living says, you crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow, hashtag overflow, with abundance. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest and even the hard pathways, can you imagine this? Even even the hard paths are overflowing with a bountiful harvest 
a bountiful crop with bountiful fruit. And just as God's blessing was seen in harvest, so sometimes his judgment was seen in failed harvests or incomplete harvests. And you'll know some of these verses well. In Deuteronomy, uh, the the chapter of, of blessings and curses, chapter 28 says, you will sow much seed in the field, but you'll harvest little because locusts will devour it. That was, that was a result of coming under God's judgment. One of the great three festivals of the Old Testament was called the, the, the Festival of Harvest or, or the Festival of Weeks. And that, um, that festival was a time of bringing the first fruits to the Lord. And you know that festival becomes known as Pentecost, and um, when we come into the New Testament, which we'll, we'll just make some references there, we, we find the, the day of Pentecost becomes a day of, of a, a great um, outpouring, a great overflow from God, resulting in a great ingathering. It's like a har- it's, it's God's harvest. 3,000 souls are gathered in on that day as there's harvest time. In the New Testament, um, again, the idea of harvest becomes really significant, ideas associated with that. There's there's a story in, um, or there's a statement in in all the synoptic gospels that that if we sow our seed into good soil, we reap a harvest, don't we? And and, and do you know what the minimum minimum return is what? 30, 30, 60, or 100 times. God says, if, if you sow in good soil, there'll be a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold. Turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to just jump around a bit, and these pictures will become many-layered. John 4. Uh, this is the end of the st- uh, towards the end of the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. His disciples ask him um, what kind of food he has. Verse 34, he says, My food is is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, Don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? I don't know what that was. Maybe Maybe that was a sort of constant procrastination. Maybe it was the particular time of year, I'm not sure. But, but somewhere in there, there's this, there's this phrase they had, don't you say, there's a saying there that, that it's four more months till the harvest. And what does Jesus say? He said, I want you to open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you've benefited from them. And then verse 39 says, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. And when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. And therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. I wonder whether Jesus looks, in, looks at the horizon and sees that village coming out to him. And he says, the harvest is right here, right now. Here comes a crowd from that village because of that woman's testimony. They're coming towards us. The harvest is plentiful. In John 15, Jesus says that if we, this is not specifically mention harvest, but it's a very similar thought. If we stay in the vine, we bear much fruit. In fact, God is glorified when we bear much fruit. In fact, John 15, verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you 
I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. Why don't we just close our eyes before the Lord right now and and hear Christ's words over us, church. What a remarkable opening statement. You didn't choose me. Wow. That's a surprise. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Wow. And I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and fruit that will remain, fruit that will last. Lasting fruit is why he chose us. Hallelujah. Paul says to the Colossians, the gospel is is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. In Revelation 22, there's the culmination of a great image that runs through the Bible concerning the tree of life. And in Revelation 22, there's, there's a tree that's planted along the banks of a river, and it's bearing fruit every month. That's unnatural. But every month, this tree is bearing fruit, fruit every single month. Then if I could just take you back to those verses we read in Matthew, have another little look, especially at the last couple of verses. Matthew 9. Verse 35. Jesus went to all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every, every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Are you beginning to see what the job description is. There's some similar verses in Luke chapter 2, and you can turn there or just just listen to these. Luke, I beg your pardon, Luke chapter um, 10, verse 2. Luke 10. Well, from verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them out ahead of him in pairs to every town and every place where he himself was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anybody along the way. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. And then remain in that house, eating and drinking whatever they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. And don't be moving from house to house. And when you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there. And tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The harvest is abundant. Jesus leaves us in no doubt about that. The harvest is abundant. The harvest is all around us. The workers are few. There's a little verse in Proverbs, um, chapter 10. It says, The son who gathers during the summer is prudent, but the son who sleeps during harvest is disgraceful. God doesn't want any disgrace amongst us. It's harvest time. And we must be out there. And we must be busy. It's harvest time all around us, folks. 
But the, there's one other characteristic of Cardi that's really harvest that's really caught my attention. If you could put the, the next um, picture. This is in Joshua 3 and verse 15. It says, Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. You probably heard us mention that a couple of times as we talked about the Momentum Weekend, this idea of, of overflow. That's a great picture there, isn't it, of a, of a very full river. The Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest. Again, it's describing, in the first instance, just a natural phenomenon, that river, that river Jordan. During harvest time, whatever time of year harvest was, during that time, that river overflows its banks. But I believe in that statement, that that natural statement of fact, a geographic, geographic, natural um, fact of life is a principle for us that I believe God wants to, us to really embrace and get to grips with. Harvest time, Jordan, overflow. What's the Jordan all about? Well, it's an incredibly significant river, isn't it, in the, in the Bible? Um, if you think about the Old Testament, the River Jordan is where... God's people crossed over into Canaan. Now, just work with me with the pictures. The Spirit wants to do something that was quite visual amongst us this morning. Just, just right. picture this. This River Jordan, where God's people crossed over into their promised land, into their Canaan, into a land flowing with milk and honey. This river was the crossover point. Into a land flowing with milk and honey. As you read through um, Deuteronomy, you find uh, this is their instructions before they're about to cross over. Over and over again, you get this phrase. When you cross over the Jordan, or the other side of the Jordan, this river, this Jordan River, marked this incredible landmark moment for God's people. When, they, when they'd crossed over, their life as a nation, their life as a people, their life under God was was going to enter a whole new phase. They're going to cross the Jordan, cross over the Jordan. It marked a boundary between uh, wandering in the wilderness and a place of abundance. It marked the boundary between um, a nomadic life and a settled life, a life established. The River Jordan is, is the place, this is an amazing story, you can read this in 2 Kings chapter 2, where... Elijah and Elisha are, are, are separated, and Elijah's taken up, and Elisha uh, picks up his mantle. And, and before Elijah's taken up, he takes off his cloak, and he, he strikes the River Jordan, and again, it, it's, the waters pile up. And then when he's ascended, and Elisha's seen him go, and, and he picks up Elisha's cloak, which is still on the floor, and he strikes the Jordan. And the same thing happens, and it, it marks the beginning of... Elisha inheriting a double portion yes. of miracle power. Yeah. Elisha's double portion happens at the Jordan significantly. In 2 Kings 5, just a few chapters later, the, this man Naaman, who, who's, who's um, afflicted with leprosy, is told to dip himself in the Jordan. And when he comes out, his leprosy is cleansed. See, this river's starting to represent something to us that must overflow. Cleansing. Power. Double portion. 
crossing over into a land of abundance. The next chapter in 2 Kings, you should read 2 Kings, it's fantastic. The next chapter, chapter 6, is where, where they go to try and build a bigger place for themselves. The prophets go to build a place and, and one man's axe head falls off, an iron metal axe head comes off the head of his axe and it sinks to the bottom of the Jordan. And Elisha, Elisha resurrects it. This axe head, this axe head floats back to the surface. And it becomes, it starts to give us a little picture, a little sign of of another characteristic of this Jordan. Because in the New Testament, John is baptizing people in the Jordan. People being raised into a new life in baptism. And Jesus himself is baptized in the Jordan River. It marks the crossover between death and life between death and resurrection life. So the Jordan represents for us this this new birth, this resurrection life, this fresh hope, this inheritance, this healing, this cleansing power. And during harvest, the Jordan always overflows its banks. Hashtag overflow. A spilling over. An outgrowing of something. A situation in which there's too much to stay on the inside. And there has to be a spreading out. There has to be a running over. And if you do, as I did um, at the end of last week, just a little word search on overflowing. Overflowing. And I won't give you the references. There's too many of them. But, but you'll, find, you'll find this Um, this image of overflow applies to an overflowing plentifulness, abundance, an overflowing provision, an overflowing joy, the overflow of new wine, overflow of justice, the overflow of olive oil, of oil, of anointing. There's an overflow described in the Scriptures. There's an overflow in Zechariah of prosperity. There's, in the New Testament, in many places, uh, Paul especially talks about overflowing grace. Grace overflowing. Hope overflowing. Comfort overflowing. Thanksgiving overflowing. Gratitude overflowing. Love overflowing. All of God's provision, all of God's generous, uh, abundant provision for his people described in those things because it's the very nature of God to overflow. Isn't it? The very nature of God to overflow. To be, he can't be contained. He's always spilling over, always flowing over. In Malachi, he says, See if I'll not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. And then there's links to harvest. I'll rebuke the devourer for, for you so it won't ruin the produce of your land and your vine and your field won't fail to produce fruit. He guarantees the harvest. And he shares his abundance with his people. God, it's in his nature to overflow. The first miracle of Jesus was to turn water into wine. Plenty of it. Some people wish he'd never done that. But he did. He produced fine wine in abundance. Six containers with, is it 20 or 30 gallons in each? I mean, it's a vast quantity and he, says, and he says, fill those containers to the brim. 
So they fill them to the brim, and, and the Lord changes the very substance from water into wine. It's a miracle. When he fed 5,000 and 4,000, there was always an overflow, always an extras, always leftovers, basketfuls left over, because he's a God of abundance. He never does things half measure. He's always overflowing. On the day of Pentecost, the, the, the festival of harvest, the hest, festival of weeks, the festival of Pentecost, God's outpouring leads to a massive harvest in gathering. God is in nature, by nature, a God of overflow, a God of abundance, a God of harvest. And we, as Chris reminded us earlier on, we are, as he is, in this world. Made in his image. Our lives are to overflow. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, heal the sick. This is to the disciples. Heal the sick. This is just after the portion we read. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Therefore, freely give. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 3? Well-known story. Acts 3. We'll just read the story now because I want us to refer to it again in a moment. Acts 3. Now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. To me, it's no coincidence that what's about to happen happens next to a gate called Beautiful. Because what happens is so beautiful. And um, this man is there taken every day to beg. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. And Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I have, I give you. That, friends, is a, is a statement of overflow. What I have, I give you. I've actually got what you really need. Not what you think you need. I've got what you really need. What I have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once, his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, and he stood, and he started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit. Isn't that great? He used to sit. He doesn't anymore. He used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex, so they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. What I have I give you. Joshua 3.15, now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. When should we overflow? 
all the time. Yeah. I was going to do it in two parts, but Janet is so smart. <laughs> she made both the links. We should overflow during harvest time. What time is it now? Harvest time. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just ask them what the time is, and your neighbor, in response, should look at their watch and say, it's <laughs> harvest time, all right? Let's try that. What time is that, Andrew? Oh, it's then. All the time, all the time is harvest time. There should be an overflow during harvest time. It's harvest time. A disgraceful son sleeps during harvest. Jesus' appeal is pray for workers in harvest. And, and, and what I want to help us with this morning is uh, we kind of know we should be working in harvest time, but it's really simple. It's, it's, it's about letting our lives overflow. The work he requires of us is to let, let our lives and, and what, what, what's in our lives, what's happened to us, what we have to give to others. Overflow during harvest time. It's last year I talked about mission mode. Well, if I could just put that slightly differently, it's overflow mode. Overflow time. All who've freely received, think about the Jordan. Think about what it represents, what that river represented. All of us, all of us in this room who have received resurrection life, new birth, fresh hope, promise, inheritance, cleansing, healing, power. Hands up if, hands up if you've been a recipient of those provisions of God sort of represented for us, in, 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 if I could put it this way, represented in that Jordan River. We've been recipients. And we must freely give of all that we've received. All of us who are living in the goodness of those, of those, those, those things that overflow in the Bible, of plenty, of joy, of new wine, of justice, of oil, of prosperity, of grace, of hope, of comfort, of thanks, of gratitude, of love. All of us who've received those things from the Lord. Now's the time for us to give what we've received. What I have, I give you. There's a lovely description of Joseph in, in Genesis 49. It's where um, Jacob is blessing all his sons and speaking over their lives. And it says Joseph is a fruitful vine that climbs over walls. Anybody got problem with their, problems with their... Uh, Russian vine or the honeysuckle or the clematis. Joseph is a fruitful vine that climbs over walls. But I think that's the word of God to some of us today. I'm just imagining Betty now being, being pushed up over a wall in, um, in, the, in the metropolis that is Barwell. It's time to climb over some walls, Betty. Let the life of God, fruitful vine, climb over walls go way beyond, start escaping its boundaries, escaping its containers, escaping the normal places, climb over walls. Joseph is a fruitful vine who climbs over walls. Jesus said in Luke 6, give and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You're getting the pictures. Harvest time. Jordan and all the Jordan represents overflow. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's use a big measure, folks. As we let our lives overflow, it will always come back to us. And then there's just 
Another thing I want to say before describing some particular things in the autumn. What I'm describing is, is the mission of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And um, I don't know whether you've ever thought of it this way. But the whole purpose, we, we, rightly, we rightly preach and teach the necessity of the baptism in the Spirit, don't we? Hands up if that's been your experience of, of being filled, being empowered, being baptized in the Spirit. That's, that's an essential foundation in this church. We rightly emphasize that. But we must equally be really clear what is the purpose of that baptism, of that immersion, of that submerging, of that uh, being, um, being thrust into the life of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Because none of us in this room needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to get saved. The Bible says we were saved while we were still sinners. So, so this is your life now, this section. Your life prior to coming to Christ, you didn't need the baptism in the Spirit, you, neither did you qualify for it, but you didn't need the baptism in the Spirit in order to enter this new life you're in. When you go to be with the Lord, you won't need the baptism in the Spirit. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us there'll be no tongues, there'll be no prophecy. We won't need that dimension in our lives when we move from, from this age into the age to come, from this earthly life into our heavenly life. So we only need the baptism of the Spirit in this life. Not to get saved, not to spend eternity with him, but in this life. Because it's in this life that we are called to continue the works of Christ. We only need the baptism in the Spirit because we're believers in this age. And because it's harvest time, because it's overflow time, because the church is here to continue the works of Christ. And I believe as part of this life, he wants to fill us and baptize us and empower us because it's harvest time, because the fields are white, because they're full, because they're ready, because we need to be baptized in the Spirit to be fruitful workers in the harvest field. Let, let me show you why I'm saying that. All the other aspects, all the, all the other aspects of, of what that baptism in the Spirit does to enable us to edify ourselves, to build ourselves up, to to bless one another. They're all, for me, sub, subsections of the overarching purpose, which is to equip us for mission. This is how it was for Jesus. And I just want to read some verses. These are all from Luke's writings, i.e. Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts, because Luke has a lot to say about this. But uh, if you want to follow with me, this is in Luke 3.21. This is how it was for Christ. Luke 3, 21. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And as he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, I take delight in you. Then there's a genealogy. Then chapter 4 begins. Then Jesus returned from the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, 
and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he, so he came back from that, from that time. Of, he'd been baptized in, in the water of the Jordan River. In that event, the Holy Spirit descended on him. And then Jesus returns, full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, goes into the, into the wilderness, defeats all the devil's temptations. Um, verse 14 of chapter 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching. And he came to Nazareth, verse 16, where he went to the uh, synagogue, as he always did. And that's when he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Here's the reason. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, today, as you listen... This scripture is fulfilled. Acts 10, verse 38. It says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went around doing good and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. If you're coming to Bible Week, you'll be hearing a lot more about that verse. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. Why? What for? He went around doing good and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. Can you see that for Jesus, this baptism, this infilling, this empowering was for his mission? And this is what it says about us. This is what Luke writes uh, about us. So start in Luke 24. This is how Luke tells the story, I should, I should say. Luke 24, the, the last chapter of Luke's gospel. So he's just about to ascend into heaven, and then he says this in verse 48, you're witnesses of these things, and look, I'm sending you what my father promised as for you, stay in the city until you are empowered, or your version might say, until you're clothed with power from on high. Stay here, your witnesses, but now stay here until you've been empowered. And Luke, Luke then continues the story in Acts chapter 1. They used to be um, two books together, these two, but uh, this, is, this is the second volume. He describes that in the opening verses, doesn't he? He speaks about the first book. Then, he's, then he opens up his second book, verse 4. While, he, while Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What for? Why? What's the purpose of it? And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were staying and tongues like flames of fire were divided and appeared and rested on them, each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages. The Spirit gave them the ability for speech. What's the first thing that happens? Peter's a witness. He, he ends, his, he ends his, his preaching, his sermon. Verse 32, he says, God has resurrected this Jesus. We're all witnesses of this. Therefore, he's been exalted to the right hand of God, has received the promised Holy Spirit, and he's poured out what you both see and hear. Verse 36, Therefore, know with certainty, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He tells them to repent, to be baptized, he says they will, too will receive the Spirit. Verse 41 says those who accepted his message were baptized and that day 3,000 were added. What a harvest. And they devoted themselves, etc., etc. We must be clothed just as Christ was. He was clothed with the Spirit. We must be clothed with the Spirit. His baptism was for mission. Our baptism must be for mission. The Holy Spirit wants to take us on an outward bound course. Outward bound, not inward bound. I honestly think every other aspect, every other dimension, the gifts, the fruit, the edifying of ourselves, the way the Spirit intercedes for us, it's all part and parcel of mission. And if you're thinking that the reason for the baptism of the Spirit is to make life group more lively, (laughs) to make Sunday morning more fun, well, that does happen. But that's not the whole purpose. It's to send us outwards. Do you know, the gifts of the Spirit are principally for you to use at work. The fruit of the Spirit is primarily to be on display to your schoolmates, to your college mates. Of course, it makes church fantastic. But it's not about church. In fact, the only reason we're part of the church is because we've got a mission to complete before he comes again. Otherwise, we'd have gone straight to heaven the moment we were saved. We're here for mission. We're here to be outward bound. We're here to overflow. We're here to let all that life that we enjoy and have received and and revel in and, and, and pat each other on the back and say, isn't it great to be saved? It's fantastic being saved. But we should be outward bound. Well, I thank God we are outward bound. But I'm praying God would turn the dial up. Because the predominant thrust, the predominant direction of the Holy Spirit is outwards. He's in you because he loves people. He's in you because he loves it when you talk to unbelievers and share your life with them and and do good to them. So let me just wrap things up. Let me say in two two really simple things what I think an overflowing life will look like. Number one, it'll look really simple, straightforward, not complicated. An overflowing life is you and me going around doing good, being kind, giving what we've got, sharing the plenty, the joy, the justice, the prosperity, the grace, the hope, the comfort, the thanks, 
the gratitude, sharing the love. It's letting the resurrection life, the fresh hope, the promise, the inheritance, the healing, the cleansing, the double portion of power, it's letting these things flow out from our lives into the lives of others. And guess what? The Holy Spirit helps us do that every day. There are good works God has created in advance for us to do. And I said this the other week, didn't I? I just, I just kind of imagine God's, God, we wake up, he's always awake, and he thinks, great, another day with joy. I've got some things prepared. I'm going to help her walk in them. Simple, not complicated. Not, let's, not try and, let's not try and evangelize. Let's not try and witness. Let's just be witnesses. Just be who we are. Doing good. So I think it looks really simple, and we're going to say much more about this in the autumn. And then the second thing, I think it looks really, if I could use this word, invitational. Invitational. I love the fact that after Peter and John gave what they'd got, the guy goes with them into the temple. I love the fact when you read the opening chapters of the Gospels, you find uh, Jesus, Jesus um, meets Simon Peter. Simon goes to his brother. Jesus meets another disciple who goes to his brother and they bring them to Jesus. I think this overflowing life, it, it is us, but it's, all, it's also, and it's not a contradiction, it's also us just inviting people to share our lives with us. And I've been exercised on this for, for a while now. I think we've got to really massively turn up the invitations to church. Becoming a people who are always inviting others, always believing that we've got what they need, always um, inviting people to our gatherings on a Sunday, to our midweeks, to our events, to our homes, to meet our friends. How many of you are in this room today because, or in this church because you received an invitation from somebody else? Okay, Hands up. In fact, could you just stand up? If you, if you have, have a think back, you might need to think back. How many of you are here because somebody invited you? If you could just, just stand to your feet. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Sometimes we, sometimes we forget the detail. Hmm? No, in your Christian life. I mean, it's interesting in this church, there's a third, of, a third or a third of the room has stood up because you're invited here. But how many of you, how many of you uh, have, have a faith in Christ because somebody invited you to something? Yeah. Okay, now we've got a few more here. Yeah. There you go. I don't know how the rest of us got here. Wow. <laughs> how did that happen? Maybe the Holy Spirit was at work. Thank you, that's great. How many of you, here's another question. How many of you are came to Christ because something in somebody's life overflowed to you. Yeah, just have another stand up. Yeah, some, you, you, you worked with somebody, you met somebody, you had a family member, you had a friend. Something, something of God in somebody else's life overflowed to you at some point. And again, maybe you've never quite analyzed it in this way, and it's, it's just a snapshot. You see, you see, an overflowing life does overflow to others. Thank you. An invitational life does, does result in people finding Christ. And I want us in the autumn, don't you, to just a fresh confidence, a fresh boldness. 
that what we have, we can give to others. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.